So we're on a series, 13-week series, called So You May Know That You Believe. When it comes into Christianity, what we do is we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then we are saved. And what does that mean? That means that we just entered a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I look back to my life, um, every time I entered a relationship that is um, very close to me, very powerful, uh, it changes my life. When I got married with my wife, my life has never been the same since I got married with my wife. And even as I grow with her, it just, it, the, the relationship has caused a dynamic in my life that is, that is huge, that is extreme, that is good, that is healthy, but that is strong. And then when we have children, I just entered a new relationship with my children when they were born as well. And, and uh, they changed my life. I don't know if your kids ever changed your life, but my kids have drastically changed, changed my life. And that relationship is what has changed my life um, with, with my kids. So when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then we're saved and then we enter into this relationship with him, does something happen to you? Does your, does your life change? Does, does anything take place uh, to you um, at, at all is, is the question and is the reason and the, um, why John wrote this book is that we, we say we believe, we say that we've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, what is the nuances of it? What is the dynamics of it? What is the impact of entering into this relationship? And that is what we've been working through um, for the last couple of weeks and will continue until Christmas. So a believer, what does a believer do? A believer is someone who is growing. When you enter a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to be somebody that is going to grow. I just want to read the passage um, this morning, and I will tell you it's a, it's a little different passage. And the reason why it's a little different passage is because um, John has been very, very rough um, on the believers just in saying, this is what's going on. This, if you believe in Lord Jesus Christ, this is what takes place. You move from light or darkness into light. You move from thinking that you're perfect into a sinner. If you believe in him, you have a whole new set of commands and rules and guidelines that you walk into. And since John's a pastor, he then pulls into a whole different category, a category of of encouragement to his people. And that's what this passage is. It's a category of encouragement, but it's also when it's a category of encouragement, he's given us the backbone of what we need to grow. So he's encouraging them, but then he's given us a backbone of what we need to grow. Let's just read the passage and then we'll work through it. And I will tell you that when you read it, it'll be a little little bit complicated, but we'll work through the complications of it. 1 John 2.12 says this, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are, you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Passage of growth, and then it tells us how to grow. Well, if we're going to talk about growth, I just want to go back to a story that I mentioned when I first started this series. It was a story about a mistake that I made in regards to making sure my lawn looked really nice. 
And what took place is that um, I wanted to kill all the weeds, and I used Weed Master to kill the weeds, and then it flourishes the grass. And, um, and that's what I did before I left for an entire month, um, is that I wanted to kill the weeds and let it go. So I, I already told this story, um, that instead of using Weed Master, I used Roundup instead. So as I used Roundup, I just sprayed it everywhere, and, um, and then I had to make a confession to my wife, I think I might have used the wrong chemical on my yard. And she goes, you didn't. I said, I think I might have. Maybe I didn't. Hopefully I didn't, but we'll see what takes place. And then all of a sudden my yard <laughs> looked um, like a maze. I did not know it, but she took pictures of it. In fact, I didn't even know it until after I preached the sermon and told you guys a story that she took pictures of my yard. I don't know if it's to hold it against me or, or, or what it was, but anyway, I want to show you some of the pictures that, I, that uh, she took of my yard as I went, and she probably hung on to them even after I planted my grass. But this is what took place. It... People were saying I started a new trend. Here's another picture of it as well. See, it still does look a ni- like a nice map, but then all of a sudden after it died, the weeds started growing. But the reason why I'm telling you that story is because I like growth. I replanted my lawn, so I want to finish the story and give you a picture of what my lawn looks like now. So this is what my yard looks like right now. So I got my grass planted. I'm a person who likes growth, energized by growth. People in my accountability group would say, you know, how is your relationship with your wife going? I would say, my grass is growing. They would say, I'm so glad your relationship's doing much better. Because whenever something like that grows, it, it brings a whole dynamic into, into your system. We're attracted to growth. We love growth. We love to see it. We love to watch our children grow. We love to watch our relationships grow. We love to watch our economy grow. We like to watch our character grow. God is extremely excited about watching you grow. And we should be excited about watching each other grow. And what I mean by that is that we should love God more now than we did 20 years ago, if that's when you accepted Christ as your Savior. We should be more kind to others and love others more than we did 20 years ago when we first accepted Christ as our Savior, or five years ago. Every year that passes, we should be growing more patient, more loving, more passionate, more kind. We should have more peace in our relationship with God. There should be a dynamic of growth that has taken place with us as we are entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're just going to break this sermon into two different categories, this passage into two different categories, talking about the stages of spiritual growth and then what makes you grow spiritually. So what are the stages of spiritual growth? Number two, little children, young men, and fathers. That's what this passage says. Little children is a term for saying new Christians. Young men is a term for saying middle-aged Christians, middle-aged Christians. And father is a term for saying seasoned Christians. And we are all scattered in this room of different people in different categories, in different stages in our Christian walk. But I want to look at this passage and see what it does with the stages, because it's really interesting how it speaks. And I will tell you, it gets a little bit complicated, and it was difficult even studying it. The reason why it's difficult studying it, because what is Paul or John trying to communicate? And as he's trying to communicate something, is communicating something, you can't look at all the details. You have to look at the whole picture of what's taking place. But some of the things that are, confu- uh, that are confusing, I just want to note before we get into it, is... There's three different challenges in this passage, three different areas of growth that will, that will make you grow. And the three areas is, one, think of your salvation. In other words, your sins have been forgiven. Uh, have fellowship with God. In other words, you've known him. And fight the evil one. There's only three. Now, it's interesting we get lost because 
John mentions it six times. But there's only three, three points that he's trying to give. The other thing that's really interesting about this passage is that he doesn't put them in order when he starts to talk about spiritual growth. He says, little children, and then what? Fathers, and then young men. It's really interesting that he doesn't put them in order. Usually you think little children's, and then you grow into um, young men, and then you grow into fathers. That's, that's not the case. That's not the case here. And then he also um, gives the same challenges to everyone. Little children, you must know that you're forgiven, the salvation, and you must have fellowship with God. And the young men, you know that you're forgiven, have fellowship with God, fight the evil one. And then fathers, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to have fellowship with God and fight the evil one. So there's a a scatter that has taken place um, in this passage. And what's going on in this passage as the scatter is taking place? The passage, number one, is about growth. Fathers need it just as much as children. Children need it just as much as young people. And young people need it just as much as children and fathers. That's what the passage is saying. Very, very powerful in the sense that we all need growth in the areas of our life, and the children need the same things as the father. Young men need the same thing as the children and the father. That's what the large statement is going to make. So what makes you grow? It's already been mentioned, but what makes you grow? Now, if I wanted my children to grow, what would I do? I would tell my children what to do, and I'd expect growth out of them. This is what I do. This is what you need to 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 do. And then I'd expect growth out of them. Well, John does something completely different, completely radical. He does not tell you what you need to do to grow. He tells you what you have. Look at the passage. He tells you what you have. Every single line is your sins have been forgiven. You have known him. You have conquered the evil one. I'm just going to let you know what you have. Because when you understand what you have, the power is already there to make you grow. So don't just think about what I need to do. I need to think about what I have. And as I think about what I have, what's going to come out of me? Growth is going to come out of me. See what happens in the Bible. We hear that this word, this term seed is mentioned so much in the Bible. You know, put a seed on the ground. Put a seed in the dirt. You have a seed in you. Well, if you have a grass seed, since we're talking about lawns, a grass seed, what are you going to get out of a grass seed? You're going to get a piece of grass. If you have an oak seed, what are you going to get out of an oak seed? You're going to get an oak tree. You know, if you put the seed in the ground and it starts coming up and it starts, you're going you're to get an oak tree. But if you have a God seed, that's planted in you, what are you going to grow into? <laughs> what are you going to grow into? What's going what's to happen to you? Do you see there is power in understanding what we have more so than what I even need to do? And that is what John is moving in this passage. Let me just explain to you what you have. And because if I explain to you what you have, you can start the areas of growth in your life more than you can possibly even imagine. First challenge is about salvation. What do you have? You have salvation. So what should we do with it? Number three, we should, if we have salvation, we should preach the gospel to ourselves. We should preach the source of salvation to ourselves. Here's John speaking. 
I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of my name. Simple, fast gospel statement. Just a simple, fast gospel statement. All the way through the Bible, the authors just give you sharp, different gospel statements. But this statement is simple, is fast, but it is the backbone of what we should feed on in regards to our salvation message. And what does it say? It says you're saved by what? You are saved by myself? No, I'm saved on account of his name, not mine. That's the message that he's given you. You are saved on account of his name, not yours. Now, in our mind, we could think, well, I'm forgiven. The reason why I'm forgiven is because I've turned away from sin. Well, you know, we have turned away from sin, but we're not saved in regards of turning away from sin. We're saved on the account of his name because he's the one that opened up our eyes. Well, we say, I'm forgiven because I have a good life. I'm forgiven because I'm repentant. I am forgiven because I ask Jesus in my heart. I'm forgiven because I go to church. This passage is saying, you are forgiven because you're saved on his name and not yours. You're forgiven because you're saved on his work, not yours. You're forgiven because you're saved by his sacrifice, not yours. You're saved because of his righteousness, not yours. You're saved by his name, not mine. Why am I saved is because there is a God that did all the work on my behalf so salvation can be mine. This is what John is challenging his his readers to, is open your eyes to that simple fact. You're saved by him, not you. You're saved by him, not you. Christ has done all the work on the cross. What should we do with it? We should feed on it. Christ has done all the work on the cross. What should we do with that statement? We should meditate on it. Christ has done all the work on the cross. What should we do? We should embrace it. We should accept it. We should love it. And we should never stop preaching it to ourselves. And the reason why we should not stop preaching it to ourselves is that if you preach it to yourself consistently enough, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to grow. You're going to automatically grow. 1 John 2, at the end of the passage, says even what you'll grow into. I write to you, young men, because you are what? Strong. This is the same connection on that top of the verse. Preach the gospel to yourself. You are saved on his name, not yours. And what's he, what are you going to turn into? You're going to turn into a strong man, a strong woman. Well, how does preaching the gospel to yourself by saying, he did it, not me, make you strong? Just give you an example. I watched a documentary on Netflix. It was called uh, Social Dilemma. And I would um, encourage anybody to watch um, that documentary. Um, it's about uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and their advertisement um, techniques. And the whole documentary was describing the, um, uh, describing, or not even describing, but it was the people that created Facebook and the techniques of, of, and the techniques of, of advertisement. So they were the ones that created it. And after they created it for the, the purpose of making money, for the purpose of making you stay on the end, making you stay on Facebook, making you stay on Instagram, making you addicted to it, um, they said, we created a monster. We created a huge monster, a scary monster, and we didn't even know we were creating a scary monster in the process of doing it. What do you mean you created a scary monster? What they have is they, they create a, a buyer's persona. And what is a buyer's persona? It's a fictional character created based on your search needs. So if I do a search need, what's going to take place? Everywhere I look on advertisements, they're all going to come after me. 
So, you know, I, you know, I traded my street bike into what? A dirt bike, and now I have a dirt bike. Well, what if I have a new dirt bike? I need a dirt bike helmet. So I'll search a dirt bike helmet. Every time I turn around, I get all these dirt bike helmets that come up to my... On, on, you're not getting dirt bike helmets. Why? Because you're not searching for dirt bike helmets. What they're doing is they're tracking me and they're saying, who is this Mike Dadera and what does he want and where is he going and what can we do to feed him as much as we can so he will stay on on all these advertisement pieces of it. So, I mean, if you start searching raft equipment, you'll start getting raft equipment. They start to study you. And as they study you, they feed you what you want. If you start searching Republican, what's going to happen? Everything up, come up is going to be Republican. If you start searching Democrat, what's going to happen? Everything that you come up is going to be, is going to be Democrat. And they feed you what you want to believe. They feed you what you think is out there and what you, what you, what you desire. It's a very, very powerful tool of advertisement. And the video was showing to say, we've got to put restrictions on this. And the reason why is because we are feeding people's minds of what they want to believe, and this person's mind is getting one thing, this person's mind is getting something else, and as we're feeding them those two different things, what's going to take place? At the end of the video, I say, possible civil war. Why? Because I think the whole world is reading what I read, and people over here think the whole world is reading what they read. It's just the power of advertisement. And what they do is they um, also explain about truth, is that a lie sells six times faster than the truth does. So they think, well, okay, well, we got to feed Mike. Well, let's feed him what we want him to believe or what's going out there, even if it's not true. So there's a whole bunch of different things going out there. And what is the consequences? Truth is being cast out the window. And I don't even know it because I look on Facebook. See, what happens is just a powerful piece of advertisement. They know your psyche and they're going after it and it is working, and it makes you completely addicted. There's another piece that talked about in this, um, this advertisement piece of, of to keep us connected. It was regard to the person that created the like button on YouTube and the person who created the like button on Facebook. And he said, okay, my job is to create this like button, but what comes behind this like button? And what devastating consequences are coming behind this like button? Well, what happens is that People will do a YouTube video or people will do Facebook and they will see how many likes they get. One like, two like, three like. And every time they see likes, say a rush of likes, you know what takes place? Dopamine is released from their mind. Dopamine is a complete rush, the joy drug. It's like, I have 200 likes on my sermon last week. Oh my goodness. And then I have to look at it again and again and again to see if the likes go up, if the likes go up, if the likes go up. It's very, very addictive. Why? Because when you're looking to be liked, you're hungering. Everybody is hungering to be loved, watched, noticed, accepted, to be somebody and to be seen. And that like button all of a sudden gives us dopamine to our mind. I am somebody who's loved, watched, noticed, accepted. I am somebody and we just love it. So what do we do? We stay connected with it. We don't release it. We don't let it go. But think about that dopamine rush that we get. We are hardwired by God. And if we are hardwired by God, he put the dopamine rush there. I would just say he did. He put the dopamine rush, meaning the dopamine of joy that you get by the internal cry of who you are. So what happens is that you're given this gospel. And this gospel is what? You are saved on account of him. And what does that mean? <laughs> that means 
you're loved. Not by people, not by the world. No, you're loved by him. You're watched, you're noticed, you're accepted, and you're redeemed. That simple statement that you are given on account of my name, that dopamine that is put into our mind is supposed to see the cross of Christ. And when we do, it should give us an understanding that we have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. It's been hijacked by commercial advertisements, but it is there specifically for that one gospel we must preach to ourselves. We must preach the gospel to ourselves because if we preach the gospel ourselves, we're going to find some other things. The gospel says, if it's done on his name, not mine, then my shame is gone because it's on his account. If it's done because of his name, not mine, my guilt is taken away. Can my guilt be taken away? Completely gone because it's on his name, not me. I'm not trying to work my way to salvation. All of a sudden, I'm saved by the blood of the lamb. It can pull us into areas of our our shame is gone, our guilt is gone, fear can be removed, anxiety is no longer necessary, and peace is granted. Why? Because that fast statement in 1 John, that you are saved in regards to his name, not yours. So get over the past, get over the guilt, get over the anxiety, because you have a God that is literally connected with you in a personal relationship. If you look at through the Bible, and these are just you know, percentages that I just pulled up, so I don't know if they're right or not, but 70% of our Christian walk is emotional, and 30% of our Christian walk is behavioral. And the reason why I just kind of put those areas, 70%, 30%, because I look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, if I receive Christ, and I have this relationship with Christ, something is going to come out of me. What comes out of me? Well, if you look at those, they're emotions. Emotions come out of me, because I can't love unless my emotions are okay. Love, peace, that's complete emotional. Joy, that's complete emotional. Love, joy, peace, patience, it's complete emotional. It almost goes all the way through all these emotions, and then it gets to the end. Oh, by the way, have self-control as well. Do you see what's taking place is that we are in a relationship that is not just regarded, this is behavior, make sure your behavior is good. No, we are in a relationship that says our sins are forgiven on the account of God. We have then entered into a relationship that has touched the deep core and central piece of our life, that has touched the deep core and central piece of our life. Why? Because God doesn't want you just to behave yourself. Because behaving yourself isn't good enough. What God wants you to do is he wants you to be a rock. He wants you to be a rock that is standing on a firm foundation because our children don't need a dad who behaves himself as much as they need a rock to stand on. They don't need a mom that just behaves herself as much as they need a rock to stand on. They need to have a stone that they stand on to say mom and dad is absolutely secure in who they are and what they believe. And we can be. Why? because we're saved on account of him, not on account of us. We need to be on that rock. Why? Because when the world falls, believers are not supposed to fall with it. When the world falls from underneath everybody, the believers are not supposed to fall with it. That's why you're given the salvation message. It's on account of him, not me, because you're standing on him, you're not standing on you. So when everything takes place and you fall or your situation falls, well, God hasn't. He's still sitting specifically on this rock. There's nothing on this planet that makes you emotionally strong except the gospel. Nothing. 
There is nothing on this planet that makes you emotionally strong except the gospel. You might say, well, no, I have other things that are emotionally strong with, but what about being on your deathbed? When you're on your deathbed, can you be emotionally strong? Only if you have the gospel. Only if you have the gospel. It's not speaking to your behavior. It's speaking to your emotions. And what is it? The gospel. We are saved. We are forgiven on account of him, not us. And we can hold on to that. Number four, be faithful in your fellowship with God is the other thing that this passage is saying. Preach the gospel to yourself, and then he moves right into, if you preach the gospel to yourself and you understand what you have, you will grow. The next area that you're going to grow is what? Be faithful to your fellowship with God. He says it more times than any other. First John 2, all the way through the passage, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of my name. The first statement. But then he goes, I write to you, fathers, and he says the first thing, because you have known, remember, not because you know, but because you have known him who is from the beginning. And then he goes, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then he goes to the children. I write to you, children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And then I write to you, young men, because you're strong. And then he moves to the last one. And the word of God lives in you. And then he says, we've become the evil one. But you see, he's saying it more than anything else. It's because you're known. It's because you're known and because you're known. Knowing who my wife is is one thing, but knowing my wife is something else. When I logically understand who my wife is, it's a whole different category than knowing my wife. Because when I know my wife, I walk with her, I talk with her, I be with her, I share with her, I experience life together, I kill her grass, she forgives me, and the relationship takes place. That's what knowing your wife is, and that's what knowing God is. As you walk through the mountains, you walk through the valleys, you walk through life knowing God. So he's reminding his people. What does he say? You have known me from the beginning, and I am with you right now. So why aren't you walking with me? Why aren't you talking with me? Why aren't you communicating with me? See, if we want to grow, we got to put things into our life. God speaks, so when he speaks, we need to listen. But if we refuse to read the Bible, we're not going to hear God speak. We're going to hear the world speak to us rather than anything else. We have to read the Bible. We have to pray. We have to worship. We have to meditate. We have to be in church. We have to confess our sins. We have to obey. We have to serve. We have to surrender. There's things that we have to do to grow because we've been granted this relationship. We get the relationship by the gospel, and then we get the fellowship by communicating from him to us. And then that's the process that starts our growth, continues to grow. And as we're doing it, what's going to take place? We'll never be the same will never be the same. Christians can be divided into two camps, what we can get from Christ and what we already have in Christ. Old Testament authors, all the way through the book of Psalms, you hear that God is my portion, God is my all, I desire him and nothing else. Psalm 73 says, whom I have in heaven but you, and on earth nothing I desire but you. In other words, I don't care about anything but this relationship that I have with you. I don't care about anything except this relationship I have with you. Well, what are we doing about encouraging that relationship, about feeding on that relationship? We're not doing anything if we're not reading the Bible. We're not doing anything if we're not praying, worshiping, and meditating. That is our walk with the relationship. If somebody comes in and says, you know, I just accepted Christ. You know, what do I do next? Tell me, what area do I work in? I would say, don't, don't work in this area, that area, that area. Go to your closet. 
go to your room and open up the Word of God and say, thank you for saving me. Now talk to me. And I'm going to make a commitment to talk to you every single day. Number five, use your power to overcome the evil one is the second piece of growth that takes place. John is giving us a position and he's telling us to use it for the purpose of growth. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. You'll see it underlined in your notes. What does he say? He says it to the young man and the father. And he says, because you have overcome the evil one. And at the very end, he says again, you have overcome the evil one. I write to you these statements. They're already true. You have already overcome the evil one. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you who you are and what has taken place in your life is that you are in charge of the evil one. How do you know that? Just look at the, the names of, God, of Satan. If you look at the names of Satan, what, what is he? He's an adversary, means he's an enemy. He's an accuser, means that he's just going to feed you a line of, of, uh, of garbage that you're past. Um, is, is so horrible that God won't accept you and that your sin is so messed up that you are not going to be saved. He's also somebody who is a deceiver. He's just going to try to trick you and he's a father of lies. I mean, if you just look at his names, there's not a power that is inside of us that makes us do things. There's a power that wants to hijack our will. And that's what he's doing. I just want to hijack your will because I don't have power over you. I can't crush you. I can't destroy you because you're God's child. All I want to do is take your will and move it. So what are we supposed to do? Resist temptation. God or Satan, my will is God's, it's not yours. Resist the temptation. Release your past. Release your enemies. Break your chains of addictions. Ignore the accuser. Refuse to hate. Take evil thoughts captive. Forgive yourselves and forgive others. Satan, you are not in a position that is over me. You're in a position that bugs me. Therefore, I'm not going to give you control. I'm not going to give you control. I'm not going to feed into your life. Looking at the entire passage, preach the gospel to yourself. Be faithful in your fellowship with God and use your power to overcome the evil one. You already have those things. You already have those things. And the things that we have is the thing that makes us grow. Therefore, feed on them. God, I just pray that you... um, Protect us, God. We live in a world that wants to hijack our will, hijack our mind, hijack our psyche, um, distort truth, send truth um, a direction that is away from you. I just pray, God, that, uh, that we'd be rescued from that, redeemed from that. And our commitment and our life, God, would be focused only on your truth and what you've done for us. God, I just pray that we will be a people that preach the gospel to ourselves 100 times a day, 50 times a day. 30 times a day, consistently, God. We need to know that we're not saved on our account, but yours. I pray that we will be people committed to reading the Bible, praying, obeying, worshiping, meditating, because we want that relationship to change our lives. And I just pray, God, that we'll resist the evil one as well. Thank you, God, for giving us these tools. In Christ's name, amen.